Hi, and welcome to That's Myrony Podcast. My name's Alicia Myronic, and I am your host and creator of this fun new concept. But first, what exactly is Myrony? Well, Myrony, or my irony, are those crazy coincidences that happen in life that you just can't explain. It's also another word for sign or synchronicity. We've all experienced these throughout our lives. But what if you started paying closer attention to your myronies? What if you started connecting the dots, or as I like to say, follow the spiritual breadcrumbs that could have an impact so big that it changes your life forever, not to mention the lives of others. Now that's myrony. everyone. Welcome back to That's My Ernie Podcast. I am so excited to bring on my next guest, Corey Poirier, because after just talking to him for a few minutes, I realized the level of myronies that we have together are so incredible that I asked if he would just uh, be able to share on the podcast. So what you're hearing, I'm also hearing for the first time. But first, a little bit about Corey Poirier. So Corey is a multiple-time TEDx speaker. He is also the host of the top-rated Let's Do Influencing radio show, founder of the growing Blue Talks brand, and has been featured in multiple television specials. He is also a best-selling author, award-winning author, and the co-author of the Wall Street Journal USA Today bestseller, Quitless. The columnist with Entrepreneur and Forbes magazine, he has been featured in and on various mediums and is one of the few leaders featured twice on the popular Entrepreneur on Fire show. He also has interviewed over 6,500 of the world's top leaders, and he has spoken on site at Harvard and more recently to Microsoft team leaders and at Kyle Wilson's Inner Circle Retreat. So I can't even, when I started hearing who he's interviewed and I'm like, how did you get to meet all these people? Um, I believe there's probably a lot of myrony connected to it. So let's go meet Corey and see how he's been doing all of this in his life and hear the story behind it. Hi, Corey. Thank you so much for joining me on That's Myrony today, because I know you have some amazing myronic stories to share. (laughs) I yes, I do. I've been excited about this uh, for most of the day. And I would even argue maybe uh, a couple of days. So um, yeah, I'm super stoked about that. Well, I always like the listeners to know where you're calling in from, because a lot of my irony is I like to say it's a divine design that interweaves us together. And I actually uh, just had an interview just yesterday that's going to interweave you even more, which is really funny. So I just want to have the listeners be able to see like, how this happens. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm really excited. And the whole idea of Myrony, uh, I, I was excited to be introduced to that as well, because I just think it's a, such an amazing uh, concept and sort of uh, approach to what I may have called synchronicity in the past or meaningful coincidences. So I love it. And where, where do you actually live? Yeah, so I'm based in um, Prince Edward Island uh, in the far east coast in Canada. For those that may not be that familiar with uh, this portion of Canada, it's the smallest part of Canada. It's like the the last part that anybody talks about, really. And uh, yeah, so it's a tiny little island. It's uh, surrounded by beaches and water. So, I mean, in the summer, it's it's amazing. It's gorgeous. 
took it for granted my whole life growing up, didn't realize, you know, what we had and still talk to my girlfriend about this the other day, still interesting that we'll drive through a town, let's say in Florida, that's like on the waterfront and comment on how amazing it is and all that. And then come home and not even look at our town that way still to this day. Uh, but it is that kind of place. Like I've uh, lately, more recently, I've often said it's almost like Hawaii in Canada, because again, you're, oh. there's a beach every direction. And, you know, it's when it's sunny out, I mean, it's, you know, beaches, uh, all kinds of water sports. It's that, and, and Marina, like right where my office is right now, I'm looking out if it wasn't raining, it's right in the waterfront with boats coming in and the Marina and stuff. So yeah, it is a cool little place. Uh, but again, Prince Edward Island in Canada. Wow. Well, so it gets even more interesting because, well, my family, I actually had my grandparents used to, uh, they, they lived in Vancouver. So I used to go to Vancouver a lot. I'm originally from New Jersey, like an hour outside New York City. So, but I, I don't think, I think maybe I've been there once, but I don't remember. So I've got to come back up and make a trip. But, you know, the funny thing is, is I uh, just yesterday, I was interviewing Michelle Bateman and uh, Travis Belanger. And I, and she just mm -hmm. told me how um, she actually was like how she met you years and years before ever meeting anybody else. And it's like, she's in, you know, Edmonton, Alberta. And, but the funniest thing, and the reason why I'm bringing this up is Travis met Rosalind Fung in San Jose, California at the airport. So where I live, the airport is how they met that then she became the matchmaker to bring Travis and Michelle together. And I know you work with Rosalind and Rosalind's the one that connected us. So like listeners listen to how unbelievably crazy that is. Like, what are the odds? And that's the concept of irony. And like, it is, it is an, it is a more modern day word for synchronicity, but it's really synchronicity in motion. It's an action. Cause otherwise, if you don't do anything, it's just a synchronicity. <laughs> Agreed. So, so much. And uh, it's, it's interesting because um, as soon as you started sharing who you had on, I knew, I knew that story. Like I, uh, we actually, um, we were just in Alberta uh, two months ago and we ran our Blue Talks event there and my girlfriend was just meeting them for the first time. And so I told them to tell her the story because I knew oh, the story. Wow. So yeah. Well, it's, so it's again, so it's so amazing. But then it gets even crazier because it's where I live of San Jose, California. Like it's not even just like an airport. I mean, it was here where and I'm like, that's nuts. But see, that's where it gets really fun when we start looking at that. So I want to get into about Blue Talks is what you're doing is so unbelievable. But I was actually I watched your uh, your TEDx talks, which were amazing. And for the listeners, we'll have the link so you can connect to that. But how did you get into, I mean, you've done sev what, several TEDx talks. Like, how do people, I know you're also a coach that you help people get into TEDx talks, correct? Like, you be able to help them with that. But you actually talk about one of your TEDx talks, how you, how you uh, had to do stand-up comedy, that you didn't want to do stand-up comedy. And so it always seemed like you just, at, uh, at that point, just started being in action of a lot of things. Is that how you kind of started moving forward to really move the needle as fast as you have? Yeah. So, uh, and you know, I know we'll come back to this too, but uh, it's interesting because I was just thinking as we were talking about Michelle and Travis, I can't wait to tell you about the Myrony story that got my girlfriend and I together and what that led to. But um, 
the stand-up comedy thing, basically what happened, the story behind it is that I, and again, all these steps, again, you can go back and say each one had to happen for the next one to happen. But what happened was I was, um, I lived in Western Canada. So where Michelle and Travis live, and I was playing music a bit in clubs put out a couple or recorded a couple of CDs and I had a couple of songs on the radio. And so I was going down this path, the entertainment world. And I ended up, I always thought, felt I was going to be a writer more so than a performer. And so I wrote this stage play that I decided to put in this festival called the Atlantic fringe festival. And it was like a seven day play run. And I had to find actors for the play. So I posted flyers and all that. And I ultimately found seven actors, sorry, five actors and ultimately we added a sixth. And then there's a reason why the seventh one was there. This guy was the seventh one who didn't want to be in the show. But um, ultimately I put posters out, found the actors. Uh, the one, at, one of the actors was actually a guy I worked with. He was the only one I knew before this. And ultimately we ended up doing the play, uh, ran the first three days, everything went smooth. The fourth day that lead actor sprained his ankle on the way to the show. And because of that, he needed more time for costume changes. and of course, the only person that can, so what happened was we needed another actor, but who's going to know the lines halfway through the play, other than the guy who wrote the play who was not in the play. So in other words, the guy, meaning me, uh, if you're listening, you won't see me pointing to me, uh, the guy being me who didn't want to be on a stage, realized pretty quickly there's only one other person that could fill in to make this work, and I was that guy. So I basically wrote a couple of parts where I wouldn't have to face the audience, like I literally I'll call it cleverly wrote the part so I didn't have to look at the audience. <clears throat> Excuse me. The main character was a busker and I wrote it so that I could be uh, people that were going in and like um, kind of like a guy was saying, play more Bob Seger. And he was just throwing pennies at the busker and just tell him to play music. And I was that guy throwing the pennies. So I wrote it as people that were just like random characters in the play that would buy us some time. So to move the story forward much quicker, the end of the play, I'm like, what happens if this happens again? Like, if I want to be in this writing thing, maybe I need to get comfortable getting on a stage. So I asked one of the actors in the play, the guy that I didn't know before the play started, his idea, like, what do you think I could do to get comfortable with this? How did you get comfortable with this? And he said, you know, I don't know how to answer that, but he said, I can tell you uh, that I'm going to do, uh, I'm going to a stand-up comedy workshop at the local university. Starts in a week. Did you want to join me? Maybe that'll help you. And I thought about it, uh, honestly, the idea, well, maybe I can go and learn more about writing. Like I still was fixed on this writing thing. And I thought, well, maybe I'll go and learn from these comics about how to write comedy. So I went to the, the uh, university, did the two-week workshop. The week, the third week, the guy told us, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to go to a comedy club. You're going to watch comics perform. And um, ultimately, uh, you'll take notes of what they did well, and you'll learn from each other and all this kind of stuff. So we go to the, the and this is, goes to the story you were talking about, but we go to the, the club, and about five minutes of showtime, we're looking for these so-called entertainers. And we found out at that moment, we were the entertainers. So he did it on purpose where... <laughs> He kind of led it us to not realize he was going to call us up on the stage. And so he basically said, okay, uh, essentially who's going up first. And it's about 10 minutes after showtime. Nobody wants to go first. So now we're in a corner debate who's going to go first. And finally, I remembered going to Toastmasters one time, you know, around public speaking. And I said, if we're going to face a fear like this, if I'm going to do it at all, I might as well do face it first. I might as well go head, face it head on and go first. So I went on the stage, grabbed the mic, told my first joke to dead silence uh streams of sweat start coming down my face I launched into the second joke because I figured the hardest part was getting on the stage I've already done the hard part 
then I, the second joke was met with more silence. So uh, ultimately uh, the guy was his name calls us over the corner of the stage and he hits me. He gives me a schmuck in the back of the head and he says, you idiot. We haven't even turned the mic on yet. What are you doing out there? And so the reason I wasn't getting laughs is because the mic wasn't turned on. And when I share that story, I always tell people the second uh, part that people always want to know is what happened after. And so we turned the mic back on. I told, I did the deliver the jokes again in front of the same audience and they bombed a second time, Alicia. So I think I'm the only comedian ever bombed twice in 10 minutes with the exact same material. But I bring up that whole story because you brought up the standup to say, that was a pivotal moment in my life. But also you can see how, look at the things that had to happen. Like I had to move across the country. I had to decide to put a stage play in a fringe festival. I had to face my fear in doing it. I had to, instead of closing the show halfway through when the actor sprained his ankle, I had to agree to get on stage and do what I didn't want to do. And at, most importantly, I had to ask the actor who I wouldn't have known had I not put the stage play in and put an advertisement up, how can I do this? And he had to tell me about this workshop that I didn't know existed. And I, and to your point about uh, in motion, I had to take action on all these things for any of this to happen. And so to answer your question more directly, standup did certainly launch it all because at that point I had been in sales. I had a good sales career, but I was terrified to be on a stage. And after doing that comedy thing, somebody invited me to see, uh, I kept going back every week to perform standup and somebody invited me with them to see Tony Robbins. And I saw him speak on a stage and they said, can you believe he's getting paid money to do this? And I said, whoa, like record scratch moment. What do you mean people get paid to do this? I'm going to a comedy club and paying 20 bucks to get $10 from the door. And you're telling me people get paid to do this and they don't have to deal with hecklers and they don't have alcohol involved. <laughs> what? No, close the bar. I need to know about this. And so that's how I got into speaking, which I started by convincing a community college to let me teach a sales course to them. Like I always say, it's, it's interesting. I had to sell them on letting me teach a sales course. It was the first one they'd ever offered. And that's really what launched my speaking career. None of that happens without the stand-up comedy. So, and then wow. everything that's happened since is built upon each other. So I would agree with what you said as a statement that none of it happens unless I got into stand-up. So it did kick it all off. That is amazing. I'm so glad I asked that full story because you're not able to share all of that. But it's like for the listeners, like I like to say, it's like follow the spiritual breadcrumbs. Sometimes it's this little tiny crumb, but it's this action that's going to open something more. And uh, my former co-host, which it was very funny, I had a horrible fear of public speaking also. Uh, it's a funny story of how I was able to get over it um, was my, uh, my, my, who ended up being my co-host, uh, his dad worked in these churches. And it was very funny because I feel like I was humbled on religion where I was, I will be the first one to admit, I was kind of judgmental on the religious side. And so God's like, okay, Alicia, I'm going to show you how to get over, you know, and just accept it for what it is. But I'm also going to put you in front of these people that you have to give a presentation. And so I got to the point where I actually think it's harder to speak in front of 10 people than it is in front of 200 people, you know, because you feel like those eyes are on you more, whatever. But I can, I can, I absolutely understand that fear that you almost want it. You would rather die than you know, speak publicly. So if anybody told me that this is what I would be doing, I'd be like, uh-uh, you know, but, but it's also with what you talk about in your, in your TED Talks and all listeners definitely go listen to Corey's TED Talks are amazing, but it's when you have that passion and you know, you have a bigger message, you've got to get over the fear because what do you have to lose, right? You know, you never have anything to lose as long as you take a chance, but if you choose not to, well, 
then you might have been, you know, losing something along the way. So I love that story so, so much. And now I want to understand how, well, first you, you talk about how you interviewed all these unbelievable people. How did that happen? So, um, I mean, it's, it's, you know, again, it's another one of those things when I think about where it all started, it really goes back a long time. I actually had a newspaper when I was like 18 ish, 19, uh, previous to the comedy thing. And, and I guess there were some elements that happened before the comedy, like I spent 10 years in sales. So I got to learn about relationships and all that stuff built upon each other too. But I had this newspaper when I was 18 ish. And in that newspaper, what we did was we interviewed local entrepreneurs to learn about their business to share with other people. So that's um, essentially how I got started in this whole thing. Um, essentially, I started interviewing these thought leaders. And at the time, it was like one person business owners, small businesses in my local town. But I started doing that and I really enjoyed it. And then I, I moved away from it for a while. And then Years later, I always felt like I'd never closed the door properly on that newspaper. So I launched a similar one. And then at that point, <clears throat> excuse me, I was doing like 60 interviews a month. And we ran that newspaper for like seven years. And wow. so, you know, obviously I, that started the process because I was doing that. I was just doing interviews just to fill the newspaper. But after it got building for a while, I started realizing there were certain people that I had admired for a while or watched from afar. And, and I started getting excited by the idea of the challenge of how can I reach that person for an interview? And so that's kind of where it evolved into and where I started bringing bigger names onto this uh, small little, like I say, small little newspaper. And then um, ultimately what happened was I uh, realized that the newspaper world you know, it's still in the same market that I'm in. There's still newspapers going and there's a newspaper I know here that's still doing, uh, they're bigger than they were five years ago. Like they're still growing and, it, wow. but it's, I find it's the specialty newspapers. It's not the daily newspapers that are growing. It's a specialty one. So this one's called the buzz and it's all about the local music community. And we're in a place that's really small compared to anywhere else. And yet that paper, when it started at 12 pages and in the summer now it has about 95 so, oh. you know, you can look at 95 pages of advertisers. So there's enough advertisers to fill that. And so our newspaper could have kept going. I bring this up because I didn't have to leave it, but ultimately realized it was holding me back because it was only local. Like it was never going to be able to grow because the newspaper world was sort of going the wrong direction. And so that's when I realized maybe podcasting could allow me to continue what I was doing, uh, learning about interviews, all that kind of stuff, uh, interviewing uh, bigger names because they would see more potential to come on a podcast than they would this local newspaper. And so that's how that got, you know, that's how I evolved into the podcast. By the time I had launched the podcast, we'd already done interviews with Jack Canfield, um, Dan Sullivan, who is uh, runs strategic coach, which, you know, he coaches the likes of Jack Canfield, Mark Victor Hansen, Joe Polish, uh, if you're familiar with him, um, so a lot of really big name thought leaders pay like $25,000 to do a weekend of coaching with him. And he's just behind the scenes guy, but he's been profiled by success magazine and everything else. And so we were reaching Robin Sharma is another example who wrote the monk who sold his Ferrari. We had interviewed Robin before I ever had a podcast just for my little newspaper. Wow. And so I don't want to make it seem like uh, we went to the podcast and then all the big names started. We were like, I made a list of a hundred people and we were probably about 35 deep. And these were people that I thought were unreachable, but I said, I'm not going to accept that. And we were about 35 deep just with this tiny small town newspaper. 
And then, then I decided to the podcast, just what it did is it allowed me to bring those interviews to life so that people listening, uh, I should say reading now, instead of just reading it, they could actually hear the nuances and the voices. They could, they could actually hear the whole interview like I was hearing. And so that's what led to podcasting. And that's, you know, I'll have to make it shorter and say the rest is sort of history. But from there, basically, we j- I've, I've been obsessed with interviews. And so I've continued interviewing people uh, since then. And now it's it's over 6,500 at this point, wow. thought leaders. And, you know, the first whatever number that was, like 1,000 or 1,500 was small my small town business owners. But since then, I've just been obsessed with every new interview, every new, because I just want to learn from people and what, and sometimes people are like, well, does it matter if it's a big name? It doesn't. But I do like interviewing the best of the best in their field because you learn how they were able to do that. And yeah. that's a very unique thing that not everybody can do. But, you know, not to jinx it, but just to put it in perspective, now what that's allowed me to do is I'm launching, and I think I shared this with you, but I'm launching a new podcast that's a limited time one. And it's surrounding my um, book. Uh, so surrounding my, a book that I've written called The Enlightened Passenger. And we're starting the interviews in September. And to not jinx myself, I won't say actual names, but I'll tell you that um, one of the people we're interviewing uh, is, he gets uh, 250,000 listeners on a, his podcast a day. And you know from podcasting, that's huge. Like oh, yeah. <laughs> that a year. And uh, so, so I won't say who it is, but I'll say pretty big name. Um, also four or five people that started in the secret. So that'll start giving you hints as to who, uh, also an NFL linebacker and, um, two, uh, award-winning comedians that have been on David Letterman, the tonight show, uh, Conan O'Brien. And I bring all this up, not to name drop or not to say me ink thing, but just to say a lot of times, and this is more, I guess, related to life skills or business skills. But a lot of times when people hear I've interviewed these people, they're like, um, I could never do that. Well, guess what? Neither could I. When I started, it wasn't an easy thing to do. But I bring up, you know, I'm launching this new show. And all of a sudden, I have 35 people that wouldn't have probably come on, you know, my podcast on day one. And but yet, I've, and I should mention, I started reaching out last Tuesday. So those names I'm mentioning, that's in five or six days. Wow. That's and amazing. So that's the power of leverage. And so it's a whole nother story. It's not to do with Myrony, but it's leverage. I mean, it does go into Myrony and synchronicity because how did you meet this one person? And yeah. did they might mention, hey, Corey, should I connect you with so-and-so? But now, I mean, I do believe in this whole idea that once we've done it, we have a confidence. Like, so I don't go into it thinking they're going to say no. And that right. helps. But I honestly think once you can leverage and say, here's some of the guests we've had in the past, it's so much easier for somebody to say yes, because there's they're always looking for a uh, path of least resistance. So they're trying to avoid uh, the fear. And the fear is, I don't want to be the first. Well, if I see that 20 people I respect have been on this guy's show, it's it's usually the no is only because they don't have time. Like it's somebody who's just launching a new uh, documentary or there, I had somebody reply today and she's done multiple interviews with me. And she said, Corey, I'm focused now on growing the inside of the business for the next six months. So I'm turning down every interview. So the people we have to say no now, it's rarely because they're saying our show's not big enough. It's just that they have something that they're not doing any shows usually. Yeah. Wow. So, a long tangent because you asked how it started, but that's how it started. And like I said, there's certainly myronies we could dig into there, uh, you know, and even how I've kind of used uh, I'll, I'll say, I don't know if this is the best word, but I've kind of leveraged the irony on my side so that the person who may be a irony person 
I went, oh, look at that cool irony. I better say yes. So as an example, uh, when I interviewed Jack Canfield, it was a no for about four months. They said he, he's not doing any interviews right now uh, outside of this, you know, the really big ones. So they said, Corey turns down nine out of every 10. It's probably a no. And so I did this whole strategy behind the scenes, Alicia, that I reached out to the guy I said earlier, Dan Sullivan. And I, I knew, I found out that Dan was one of Jack's coaches. And how I found that out is because I went in Jack's website. This is a little tip for people that want to get uh, show hosts or people on their show guests. I went on to Jack's website and I seen who are the people that he respected enough to let them put their testimonials on there. Dan was one of them. So I'm like, ah, okay. So then I, I tracked Dan down and I saw, saw they had a new interview in Success Magazine, which I listened to all the time at the time. And so I got the uh, CD, put it in my car, listened to his interview. He mentioned working with Jack. So, but he also mentioned that it was one of his favorite types of interviews he'd ever done. And the cool part is I, my interview style was the same as Darren Hardy with Success Magazine. So I approached Dan's office and said, hey, Dan said it was one of his favorite interviews. And guess what? It's the same type of interview we do. We should bring Dan in the show. So that they, they decided ultimately Dan should come on the show. And so what I did was during the show, I brought up Jack's name like four or five times, knowing eventually Dan would do something. And he said, you know, Corey, more I think about it, you should bring Jack on the show. He would love the show and he'd be a great fit. So then what I did was I cut that audio clip and I sent it to Jack's team. And I said, hey, even Dan, Jack's coach thinks Jack should be on my show. And they literally replied something to the effect of, okay, Corey, you've beaten us into submission. We'll send over the calendar. <laughs> but if you think about it, it wasn't necessarily, I kind of manufactured the irony because, and it, and again, it was, and I don't say it like I wasn't doing it to manipulate. I was no. just trying to be creative. But what I'm saying is I thought about it afterward, the way Jack's team is, and Jack's really big on synchronicity and all that. They might've said, well, clearly this is meant to be. Why does this yeah. keep coming over and over again? Well, I, I kind of threw it out there. I was like, I would love for you to be a guest co-host on this show for we can bring people on to share these myronic stories because People don't realize the level of what that almost like divine destiny, but you have to be in action of it because we have free will. And uh, you you brought up about music. So I don't know if you remember the band Living Color, Cult of Personality. So it's funny. I have a friend in high school and I'll, I'll have to send this to you because it's a really fun story. But he's a drummer who never quite made it huge. Like people don't know his name, but he knows so many musicians and he actually plays with uh, in a side band with Corey Glover, the lead singer of Living Color. And so without him even telling Corey about jumping on the show, like what my irony was, he just said, you just need to be on the Zoom at this time. So it was so fun because I got to like spring on Corey Glover like this and heard the whole story of of how cult of personality was was created and you even find out that it's almost next to impossible that Corey Glover was the lead singer. And you're just like, oh my goodness. But you couldn't imagine not having his voice be of that band, right? So it's just, everybody has these stories and it's just like, how deep are people really looking at it? And when you can look backwards and you're like oh my goodness let's connect the dots let's connect this and this and this and this and and yeah I mean people are people and we just want to hear how did you get to where you are but I mean a lot of it takes guts a lot of it is thinking outside the box and so moving into like how did you create your, your blue talks because for those that don't know we got business life and universe right is that what it stands for for blue yes it is absolutely yeah and so how did that come about? Well, and, you know, it's uh, it's wild when you talked about uh, Living Color because um, 
I, I, this is my background as a kid. I used to, I say my background, but as a kid, that's kind of like, what would you call it? Guilty pleasure was wrestling. My grandfather, my great grandfather, my father, they all watched wrestling. And so I grew up watching wrestling. Uh, and when I say this for people that aren't familiar with it, it's like the male soap opera on TV every Monday night, WWE, whatever. Uh, right. They have the, the, whether it's that wrestler who has the song as there, he even talks about this in the podcast. Right. So here's, so I, it made me think of this. So I brought all that up to say, this is how I know about this, but watching wrestling off and on throughout the years, I know that CM Punk comes out to cult of personality uh, so much. So he's friends with the band. I don't even think he pays royalties to come out to it. Like, cause they just let him yeah. come out to it. But, and I don't know how it's, I'd love to know how he got to know the band and why he decided that was the song. But when you mentioned Corey Glover barely made it into it as a singer. So then you start having to think about all the things. So, uh, when you think about the irony of CM Punk coming out to that song and that blew up his career, like that, when you hear that noise, the fans go nuts. Well, maybe if he didn't have that song, maybe he wouldn't have been as big as he was. And if Corey Glover wasn't in the band, CM Punk doesn't have that song because the song wouldn't have existed in the way it did. Like yeah, what well, I'm saying is and, just- And here's the thing, the Corey Glover met Vernon Reed at a birthday party that he shouldn't, I mean, it's an unbelievable story. So listeners, if you enjoy hearing, I mean, it's, unbelievable and I'll send it to you because it was just like I had no idea what was going to transpire from it but all I knew is that this was one of my best friends who went and saw Living Color when we were in high school and he loved the band so much and then he ends up playing with the lead singer and I'm like um that's definitely myrony can we tell the story please (laughs) I love that and I guess with the blue talks part I, I'm probably going to bring you back way further than that to bring you to it because Please. the irony that I think you almost need to hear about to fully understand Blue Talks because Blue Talks itself, the irony isn't as big in terms of the, if I look at the leap from where, what, who, who kind of was the catalyst that made me say we need to do Blue Talks to it happening. It was a small leap, but there's a bigger thing that led to it. Ah, so, so you got a crumb. So like the spiritual breadcrumbs, like I just want to point this out because sometimes we have a loaf of bread that literally smacks us across the face that you cannot deny. But the ones when you can pick up the little crumb is unbelievable what door can open. So I just wanted to point that out because it sounds like you had a crumb that you followed. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and it's, it's a crumb that now I, I like the first crumb I look back now and I can see, like you said, the whole arc of how this all happened. Uh, Steve Jobs did a Stanford uh, commencement uh, speaking keynote address where he talked about joining up his dots. He could go back in his life. And, and this is a total separate thing, but still related where he said like, he can see those three or four moments in his life where he was like, this is the worst thing could ever happen to me. And today, all of those four dots, if they had not happened, he wouldn't have ever come back to Apple. He would have never launched the iPad. The i and it, like Apple wouldn't be. I I don't even think Apple would be one of the top companies today if none of that happened. Right. But he had to get fired from Apple for that to happen, and so yeah. on and so forth. So he talks in that address about his joining up the dots. So I love the dots thing. And it, but to me, it's the same idea. It's the breadcrumbs. So to go back to where I'm referring to, I'm, I, this is and like this is mind blowing. Uh, as long as you believe the story, because I'm sure some people are like, ah, is he just gonna? You know, oh, make it a, well, yeah. if you if you heard my story, you know, I, I love mind blowing. So, you know, that's the reason why this podcast is there. The more mind blowing, the better. So I'm all ready. <laughs> well, and, and I'll tell you, I have all of this is kind of documented as well. Uh, so 
the first part of the journey, and I, I mean, I could go back even further than this, but um, the first part of the journey is that my, um, I, I did, I went to a read, uh, uh, psychic medium. It was an oracle. We called her an aura reader. She read your aura, uh, but she read palms. And so my mother is really into like tarot cards and tea leaf readings and all this. And so I, growing up, she brought me along to that stuff. And I was just like, and honestly, I mean, it's, I mean, this in total jest, but I was like, that this stuff is witchcraft. Like I totally didn't. And I thought like, oh, it's so easy. Like you're going to meet someone this week with a brown shirt. Like it was all so general. But <laughs> what happened to me is I ended up going to two or three people that it was not general. It was like, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. Like, it's not, I'll start with the lady in a second who this whole story starts from. But previous to her, there was one guy uh, that my mother took me to. And he was like, not just dead on. Like he said, um, I didn't tell him I was with anybody, nothing. But my, my girlfriend at the time and my mother and I think my grandmother or something were there with us. But there was no way to tell who was who or anything. And we never met him before. Uh, my mom discovered him out of the newspaper, uh, that, an ad. And so we went to him and he, one of the things he said is your girlfriend. And he said, you know, I, he told us at the first, I hope you don't mind hearing stuff that could, you know, you may not like, because he said, I don't shield it. I just tell you what I see. And he said, your girlfriend uh, is cheating on you with your best friend. Ooh. And long story short, she was in the room and she lost her mind screaming at him and that. <laughs> and, and to skip all the rest of the story, because he said so many things that came true, um, she fought it. And then like a month later, I, we broke up. I decided I was going to move to a different part of the country. And that he didn't say which best friend. And I had like eight friends that were all, we were all tight. And, uh, one of the friends who I was the closest with helped me move out, like basically moving my stuff at the back door. And then ultimately found that he was moving his own stuff in the front door. <gasps> and, uh, that we literally like, as soon as we broke up the next day, two friends of mine went up to visit him and they saw shoot female shoes in his house. And we were all good friends. And so they basically snuck into his house, opened the door to his room, and the two of them were in bed. So, like, it wasn't just like we think it happened. Right. Like, it doesn't happen the next day after somebody told you a month ago. And then you start thinking about all the other things, like every certain Tuesday night, she said, we're going out with the friends. Um, but that was the only night I wasn't allowed to go with, out with her at all. But it's like, it's all because it's only the girls. But then I had another friend said, how come every time she's down there, I see so-and-so with her? Like I, the other friend of ours. And you don't clue in at the time because you trust people. But that, I mean, that's not the, the core of the story, but it's just to say that's how I started believing in these things because this guy told me too much stuff. So then yeah. uh, fast forward a number of years, I go to a lady, her name is Sue. She does a reading. And ultimately she tells me a whole bunch of stuff. Like she says, uh, you're going to meet this guy in the Southern US and you're going to build a friendship and it's going to turn into some great opportunities. Uh, she said, I see you with a girl with a prominent L in her name. And my first thinking was first letter L, um, but prominent L in your name. Uh, I see you two in Sedona, Arizona, riding uh, horseback in sunset uh, somewhere near when you're 40. And I, by the way, I didn't, I'd never heard of Sedona. I didn't even know that was a thing. And so uh, basically six months later, um, and, and I'll skip a whole bunch of stuff and just say, I got together with a girl whose name is Shelly, prominent L's in her name, yeah. uh, two L's instead of the front letter L. Um, we ultimately moved across the country, but we're in Canada. So we moved uh, from Western Canada to Eastern, but we decided to drive through the US. And for my 40th birthday, she bought me horseback riding lessons in Sedona. Oh. And we had pictures of us overlooking sort of the moonlight or whatever. Um, uh, and so basically, ultimately, we got together. So that was one of the things. And and, and I, there's one other thing, too, is that uh, 
that I didn't mention, which is pretty, just a wild situation is that her and I both went to the same school. We knew each other like walking past in the halls, but never like really sat down or talked or anything. A year in the difference. And we both moved and moved to Western Canada. So the opposite side of the country. And we both lived there roughly the same time. I moved before she did. She stayed there longer. But I was working for this company, Toshiba, one of the world's largest companies in the world at the time. And we went on this retreat. So we were in Edmonton. She was in Calgary, which is like three hours away. We went on this one retreat one night. And me and this guy named Andrew, who um, he worked with me. But what's really wild is we look similar. We're the same age. And we both had moved to the like Edmonton from the other side of the country and ended up working at the exact same company next to each other, cubicles. <laughs> next to each other. And we went to different schools, but in the same province. So like the odds of us landing there are slim yeah. as can be, right? Um, and then we drive down to Calgary and out of all the people, because I was friends with a lot of them, him and I decided we were going to go do our own thing one of the nights we were down there. We go to this random bar on a Tuesday night. There's like 12 people in there. And he goes, oh my God, that's Shelly Rogerson. I went to school with her. And I said, oh my God, that's Shelly Rogerson. I went to school with her. But what happened, <laughs> is he went to university with her in a different province because he didn't, he didn't go to the same school as us. But then I went to high school with her and there's only 12 people in the bar and we're in a di- like a, the opposite of the wow. country, so be like, be like Florida to New York, you know, type of thing. And we're in the same bar, the same random bar on a Tuesday night, the odds of people even going out on a Tuesday night. But, and now nothing happened from that, but it was just this one random thing. And the idea that all three of us would end up being connected in this one place and never thought much of it. And then again, back to where we were at, basically what happened was, uh, Shelly and I got connected on Facebook. She saw I was speaking in that part of the country. And she said, asked if I was going to be doing any talks near there soon. I told her I was. She came up to see one of my talks. We just chatted really briefly. And then uh, we reconnected on Facebook. I had said online I wanted to get back into a First Nation sweat lodge. She told me that where she was at now, she was running sweat lodges, but like helping to set up the sweat lodge. So I should come down and check it out. So I went down in a different part, different province again, uh, British Columbia now, and went to the sweat lodge. Uh, we didn't get together for another four or five months, but ultimately, uh, you know, we got together and um, sort of the rest, as they say, is history. But how that relates, because that's the story of how we got together. And that's right. obviously all myronies all the way through. And that's uh, what you're going to be sharing, because I just want to say the compilation book. I'm so excited for you to be part of the Got Myrony Life is Good book one. I'm so excited for you to write a chapter. So thank you for doing that. Because like, yeah, it's like, how is that possible? Except if you're really kind of, you know, destined to be together, you know, this beautiful divine design. If we want to look at a higher power, I mean, I say God is love with an awesome sense of humor. That's how I represent Winky behind me. And, you know, but I just, it's like when listeners hear that, it's like, it's so unbelievable. And really what we want to do is allow people to really start recognizing the level that's out there. If you just pay attention to it. Absolutely. And and it's funny because I haven't even told you the craziest part yet. Like Oh, it gets better. Yay. <laughs> well, I mean, that's that's crazy. All that happened that way. But what it led to as well. Uh, so, for instance, I mean, there's so many things that led to personally. But it, so there's a reason why I told you when that Oracle read, did my reading, why I mentioned one third thing. So I told you about the moonlight or like the horseback riding. I told you about the Shelly, like the L's in the name. But there's a third component. So what happened was because I do all these interviews that we talked about earlier, I said to her one time, like, what? 
interviews, who would you like me to interview? You've never asked me, like she never had asked me to interview anybody. And I said, I know you're a fan of different people's work. So who would you like me to interview? And I always joke and say, she made this pathetic little list because there's only three people on it she put on there. Um, the three people, one was David G. So uh, he's um, with Hay House. He does a bunch of um, meditating and stuff like that. Uh, like he, he, he actually, he created the 21 day meditation challenge with deep, that Deepak and Chopra do. Because oh, yeah, he Deepak. Yeah. He was Deepak's um, director, first ever director of wellness or something like that. So that's one person she was a fan of. Another one's a guy named Tommy Rosen. Uh, she's in recovery and he has the thing called recovery 2.0. So she's always been a fan of him. And the third one was a guy named James Redfield, who wrote a little book called The Celestine Prophecy about what we're talking about today. And so, uh, and I won't go too much in detail because there's some stuff I can't share yet in this, but I'll tell you what I can tell you. But basically... I decided to tackle that list and I've interviewed the three of them. Um, actually, I think all three of them multiple times since then, but I didn't even know who two of them were. And I knew of Celestine, but I didn't know really who James was. But what happened was I have my own little unique ways to do things. But this one with James, I have this website where you can go and take um, a .com, put it on, and it'll actually circle back with any websites associated with that .com. Oh. So it's a way to find like secret hidden web uh, emails. I said, sorry, it gives you emails. So it gives oh, you okay. like secret emails and you can kind of go, okay, well, Lisa at, that's different. That's not like support at or help or whatever. So then you start, and then you can take Lisa at and search that on Google and sometimes say, oh, director, uh, assistant director. you like, so you can do some creative stuff. So with Celestine, I went on their page at the time, did that thing. And lo and behold, I see James at and Sally at. And Sally is James's wife. And so oh, okay. I was like, and I knew that part. So I'm like, well, if that's like, if it's his name, that's obviously his email, whether or not yeah. he checks or not, I don't know, but that's his email. And so I reached out and said, Hey, girlfriend's a fan of your work. Uh, I'm a fan of Celestine would love to do an interview, something to that effect. And his daughter came back and said, you know, he want, he, he'd love to do it. And she's part of the company too. And so before I go further in the interview, I'll tell you, they'd only put those emails on the website for about three weeks ever in their whole life. And it was during the same three weeks that I went to look for them. And he's like, he got bombarded with stuff. So then they got, they took the emails down. Right. And so I just happened to get it in that between that window. Now I could have found a different creative way, but how wild is that, that the universe said, you know, here, here's their emails. Here's their exact email addresses. And so we did, um, we did the first interview and I remember I did it at a food court in a mall because I couldn't get to my office. So I was like, he's never going to do an interview again. Like, this, like you can hear stuff in the background. And I played it off. I was like, you know, as you can hear everybody, we're doing an interview remotely, but really neither of us are at the same place, but I just kind of made it sound like a live remote interview. Uh, so we did that interview and I guess what happened was he really liked the questions I asked. And so his daughter came back and said, you know, dad said he'd love to do another interview in the future. He loves your interview style. So, um, what happened was I was going to the LA Life Conscious Expo, saw that he was going to be there. I said, hey, do you want to do a second interview? Like I went back to her and he said, sure. And the funny part is we did the second interview at the Life Conscious Expo and there was no rooms or anything to do privately. So it was the same type of interview again. All you could hear is in the background. So I was like, this was destined to be our first couple of interviews. But ultimately, again, he must have liked the questions or my energy or something. I don't know. But he said, we need to do more of these. So then we started doing like a series of those interviews. And then... Again, I'll be careful as to what I share so far because we're sharing some of this soon. But um, basically, he said, you know, you should come and uh, we should film some interviews. Like, let's do a, an interview series that we can put out. He was re-releasing Celestine. So let's put an interview series out and let's do some video interviews. So I went, uh, did some video interviews and um, 
ultimately, to skip a long story short, and this is the part I can't say a whole lot about, but we ultimately decided to do a documentary, which COVID slowed us down. We'd probably, it'd be out now, I would say, if COVID wouldn't have slowed us down. But we ended up doing this documentary and it's almost done. I'm going to use the word almost lightly, like we're four years in. So I feel like in a year it'll wow. be done, so we're almost done. Uh, and so it's basically, I went around, similar to The Secret, and interviewed all the people we thought would make a good fit to share. And, and here's the other thing. COVID happened after I got all my main interviews in. Like it was like it waited for me. Uh, but I'll share one side story just to tell you when I started doing this. So I started doing this project with him. Obviously, I had to pay attention to synchronicity. You know, now I write them down in a notebook. So I had to pay attention to them because I'm like, I need, this could become part of the behind the scenes yeah. of the making of. Like if this stuff happens, I need to be able to document this. And so I'll give you one story and I won't say the name because he wouldn't want me to say his name because he's very shy and he wouldn't want people also to reach out to him to try to get access to somebody else. But what happened was doing all these interviews, they all went amazing. Um, we and and we've done a few since then by Zoom because we had to, but most of them are done in person. Uh, I'll give you one story and then I'll just tell you a quick Myrony story. But one story is an example of the power of this. Is I interviewed um, John Gray, so who wrote Men Are uh, Men Are from Mars. Uh -huh. I interviewed him in the morning in San Francisco, and I had to fly from there to San Diego to interview Lisa Nichols in the evening. And John Gray talked about how. Whenever he, so his book uh, sold 100 plus million copies. And when he started with that book, uh, it wasn't selling like that. It took him, I think it was eight years to hit the New York Times list, which is unheard of. Usually wow. either hit it or you don't. But every day he set intentions. But what was unique that he did differently is he didn't say, I am a best selling author. He actually did it from the perspective of a publisher calling him and saying, Hey, John, just want to let you know the book's rising up the list. Or from a couple, thanks for sharing your message that saved our marriage. So he did it like it was another person. I thought that was so unique. So on the way to interview Lisa Nichols, I did the same thing. And I acted as if I was Lisa Nichols. And I said something to the effect of, Corey, thank you for uh, your interview. You're a gifted interviewer, something like that. And I can send it to you. You can air this clip if you want it on the show. Yes. Interview. And I recorded myself on the way saying what I was going to do because I thought, and I wanted it to be time stamped and because I thought, what if this works? Anyway, at the end of the interview, Lisa said uh, something to the effect of, thank you for your gift. We're doing a dance here together. I just finished doing 155 interviews, but your questions brought stuff out of me. I've never shared my life before. It was like the same stuff I said, but I mean, that's more, I guess, more manifest manifesting. But my point is that's the kind of stuff I was seeing. So how do you deny that? But right. here is the biggest one. Uh, there was a bunch of these that happened, but this is the big one that I always talk about is I was supposed to interview a guy. Uh, and I won't go into detail, but let's just say he was a UFC fighter. I was supposed to interview him in Miami. He gave me an address. It was the wrong address. So he said like Southeast, it was supposed to be Northeast. So I show up at the place on time as like a burned down building. And I just <laughs> earlier in the day. So I'm pretty sure the building didn't burn down. So I'm like, I feel like I'm at the wrong place. So I messaged him. And he said, oh, sorry, crap. Uh, didn't mean to do that, bro. Uh, I gave you the wrong address. Uh, and so he said, it's actually whatever, Southeast or whatever the opposite one was. I said, well, it's going to take me like an hour and a half because I just typed it in. I said, are you going to be able to stay there? Because I planned the whole day around his interview. And he's like, no problem, bud. And I got about five minutes away from his office. I heard a ding. I pulled over, checked it. It said, sorry, champ, had to bail. Had something oh. else come up. And so I was like, I'm going to make lemonade. So I like my thinking is I'm just going to go to the beach. I don't live in Miami, so I'm going to go to the beach. And the universe decided I was wrong. So what happened was a friend of mine, uh, she sends me a text and she said, do you say you're in Miami now? And I said, yeah. She goes, remember that guy I told you I wanted you to interview in Miami, or interview, sorry. And I said, yeah. She said, I told you to have to do it in Toronto because that's where he's at. She said, 
I said, yeah. She said, well, him and his uh, wife broke up and he moved back to Miami. And she said, is there any chance this weekend you could do an interview? And I said, actually, I'm driving to Orlando tomorrow. Today's the only day. And I said, it's a Friday. I mean, it's two hours. Like we're almost the afternoon. I said, it's two hours from now to try to work it all. It probably won't happen. She said, well, let me try anyway. So she sent him a text and he said, she told him the situation and he wanted to be involved because he's a fan of the Celestine and stuff. And uh, he came back and said, you're not going to believe this, but I had four or three things that were scheduled today all got canceled one way, shape or form. He said, my whole afternoon's free now. And so I was like, wow. I said, but we don't have a place. Now we're doing this through her. I hadn't talked to him yet. I said, we don't have a place. And I said, I, usually I book a place that we can be at or their place or whatever. And she said, he came back and said, what about a music studio? And I said, oh my God, I'm a musician. I love music. And she said, <laughs> he said the places where he recorded, like, so I get to find out that's where he recorded uh, with everybody, like Michael Jackson, Jay-Z, Beyonce. And it's like the, one of the last known uh, epic uh, studios in the world. And wow. now I get to be with him facing the master, like the, the master board that he would record at the, it was just like epic. So that's not even the big part. So we do the interview, built a great relationship. We've done stuff since two hours of hanging out, two hours of the actual interview. As I'm leaving, he says, who else do you want for this? I said, no, we just met. I'm not going to, you know, I don't want to abuse that. He said, no, no, I'm, I'm serious. Who else do you want for this? They said, I don't want to abuse that. He said, well, how about this? I, no, I said, how about this? You send me a text if you think of somebody and, uh, and, I'll jump on it, but I don't want you to worry about it. So uh, he sent me a text. I got back to the hotel. A couple hours later, he said, how about Les Brown and Bob Proctor? Oh, my goodness. I said, uh, yeah. And so he sent texts to each of them. Within two days, both like one was the manager, one was uh, directly them, came back, said anything for him. So locked interview done. And since then, I've done with Les, I've done probably five interviews. My point is, Alicia, none of that happens. So you'd asked earlier, how did I get these interviews? None of that happens without the synchronicity. Now, yeah. again, because of who I am, meaning I'm a pit bull, I probably would have still found a way to get the less, but it wouldn't have been the same relationship. It wouldn't have happened the same way. He might not have done multiple because part of it was, this is a guy he loves who's saying, Corey's doing this great project. You got to be a part of it. But think about that. And by the way, Les and Bob then landed other people and asked me about other people. How about I connect you to this person? Well, again, if you think about that, to, to follow this whole path, the irony, it all goes back to that Oracle who said, I was going to meet my girlfriend who says you should interview James Redfield, who says we, well, we and him and I said together, we should do a documentary uh, who then I tell people about it to say, you need to go interview so-and-so who then connect me with so-and-so. Yeah. And then it's really funny because, you know, I put my, myself publicly out there that I somehow spent 24 hours with God. I know how crazy that sounds. So for any listeners who are just hearing this for the first time, you go to episode 57 through 59 of, of this podcast, you can hear it. But I literally said it was like experiencing the Celestine prophecy. I was, I was, it was in a space that things were happening so fast. I couldn't even think before they happened. And it was it like, I felt like it raised my frequency to a point that I was able to then see this other dimension that was being called heaven on earth. And that's like, I was just like, oh my goodness. So when you told me this, I was like, you don't even realize the level of myrony that connects us. <laughs> well, and you know, I, cause I, I, I definitely, I, I'm a big person. Like when I start a thread, I, I definitely, for people listening, I always think as a listener, he like, 
I hope they come back to that one thing. And I'm always that person that like, they didn't go back to that. So as I'm thinking of this, I realize I need to finish the, I need to put the period on the end of the blue tox thing. How does this yeah. connect to blue tox? Because uh, I, like I said, if not, I'll probably forget and then we'll run out of time. So I only say that because uh, I agree with you completely and uh, I'll, I'll just finish off with the blue tox. So without saying a name, one of the people that I met on that journey that I was doing the interviews and that uh, had signed up for uh, for our program, helping people uh, land their branded talks, like a TEDx talk. And she is one of the people that came to me and said, like, what I talk about is very spiritual and TEDx, that's not really their wheelhouse. And so that started the thing of, of her asking me and then me asking other people, is this something people have an interest in? Which ultimately, uh, uh, quite a few people said, yeah, I wish there was like uh, a branded talk where you could do everything for us. And then also other people saying, I wish there was like a spiritual TEDx type stage. And that those two things became the catalyst for ultimately creating Blue Talks. So again, you can see where if that person didn't bring that up, maybe I still am doing helping people and other branded talks and our speaking program and all that, but never Blue Talks. Yeah. Which and is so, so it yeah, all it all is related back to that. And it's so funny because Deanne Riendo, who I know she did your blue talks in addition to Rosalind. Rosalind was in my Akashic Record course. That's how I met Rosalind. And Deanne, uh, for those that don't know what the Akashic is, the Akashic is this incredible soul record. Have you done Akashic with Deanne? Uh, I have, yes. I have. I had so, to think that. It's very funny because when it was how I was divinely connected to her, but it was during my Akashic because I have a memoir that I'm writing about this whole experience, but it came out, you need to create a compilation book first. So that's this compilation book that's finally coming out. So it's like, if we can't, I mean, really, it's like, we can't make this stuff up if we tried. And I'm going to put it out there. I hope, I hope you can be a guest co-host and we can bring James Redfield on here because I'm like, his book is literally what Myrony is. And I'll never forget when I was like, oh my God, the Celestine prophecy is living, like basically Myrony and actually like unbelievable, you know, but it's just a fun, you know, the whole idea with Myrony is that it's just a more fun modern day word that people can connect to. And my goal is that people share their Myronies in addition to their selfies on social media and create a whole new form of content. <laughs> I, I love it. And, and I do love the idea of the motion part, like actually taking action because uh, in, in one of my books I wrote, I talked about the secret and it was um, to say, you know, the secret changed a lot of lives. And at the same time, I shared one of the things I thought it could have done differently. And I, and I say this, I understand now you're limited to an hour and a half. You pick what you think is going to appeal to most of the people. But the one thing I felt was missing was the action part. And I'm not alone. I've interviewed a number of people that were in the secret. Lisa Nichols, I love what she says. I asked her about it. And she said that I look at it like this. She said, for two years, I went and talked about the action part after the secret came out because I felt it was missing. And she said, I look at it like this. You could have the best vision board in the world. It could look like a pretty one. You could watch it every day for a year and sit on your couch. And she said, at the end of the year, all you're going to have is a lump on your couch if you don't get up and do anything. Yeah, and actually, when you when you bring that up, that absolutely makes sense, because it's like people think, oh, I can just think it and manifest it. No, you got to do something to make it happen. Right. <laughs> you got to get I always say, like, 
uh, it's like if it's going down a road, it could just literally go right the other road behind beside you if you don't step over and say, hey, I'm here, I'm waiting for my gift, whatever it was. Um, so you have to take action, I believe. And, uh, and I mean, I, you know, I have lots of stories where uh, the action is what made the attraction happen. And so, you know, just if you think the reason I brought that up is because when you talk about uh, synchronicity emotion, think about that story I mentioned earlier, about this guy who didn't show up and, and, and no knock to him, I ended up interviewing him since, but couldn't didn't make it happen at whatever reason I wasn't meant to interview him that day. Well, but yeah, because person- you, you never would have gotten all this other, you know, it is, it's amazing how the universe or, you know, I, I say God in a more personal way. It's just your whatever relationship, but you know, it's like, there's a humor behind it, you know? And it's like, if you can start seeing how unbelievable. And I also like to say, it's almost like when we try to push on doors that are just not opening, it's almost like wait for the door to open, but you got to walk through. So that's what you were able and to do. Absolutely. And I want to, one thing I want to say too, which I think is really important for people to understand, because it took me a long time to get this. Uh, but I will say the reason I even mentioned the synchronicity emotion is if you think back to that guy that I interviewed that said, Hey, do you want me to connect you to so-and-so it comes back to like, we talk about the action. Well, what, how I look at it now is, the universe was saying, hey, I'm making this happen on a Friday, even though it should never happen. But there's lots of people that that happens to that went, I'm going to go to the beach anyway. Sorry. Right. In other words, the universe is saying, here you go. Here's your gift. Yeah. And they're saying, now I'm going to go to the beach. And then they just say, ah, like they, in their head, they're like, well, that wasn't a synchronicity because, you know, there's nothing to that. But that's because they didn't act on it. It wasn't yeah. a synchronicity because they didn't take the action. So first of all, I think it's important that we do act like everything I told you, but I acted on those things. Like the lady said, you're going to meet someone with prominent L's. Well, what if her and I didn't ever pursue the relationship? Then none of that stuff happens. And so I think you have to act on it. But the other side is I think you have to be flexible. This is the other thing I learned. When it, and I'll go, to, I'll kind of interchange the manifesting and synchronicity. You have to be flexible with how they're delivered. They might not come in the package that you asked for. So mm-hmm. what I'm getting at is that, um, well, here's an, ex- I mean, I can use the same story again. The guy, the UFC guy, that was the package I asked for. I reached right. out, I took action. That's who I want to interview. And the universe said, nah, we think you you deserve this because it's a better move for you. And so uh, I love when people finally started moving away uh, around uh, manifesting from saying, uh, I have this, like I have very, like very specific, I have this kind of car. And then what happens is they block themselves off from any other thing that could be better. So I loved when people started saying, uh, I have this or something better. Those are the key words because that allows you to realize it may not look like what you thought at all, but the universe has your back. And I say this, by the way, I interchange, like they're two totally different things, but I believe it's the same with irony and synchronicity. And it's the same with attraction is that it might not come in the package you expect. It might not look like a synchronicity, oh, yeah. uh, but <laughs> it, you could have a choice. You still have a choice of saying I'm on board with acting on this quote unquote synchronicity, or like I said, I'm going to go to the beach in Miami instead. And so I just want people to recognize that at the end of the day, you have to be flexible. You have to, maybe you be, you are so specific in saying, I want this amount of money or what have you, but it could be, or something better because maybe, maybe instead of the money, you get a resource that gets, brings you to more of the abundance than you even ever thought possible. And so I just want people when they're thinking about this stuff, act when it happens. Uh, by the way, write it down or talk about it or say thanks to the universe because that's the action he talks about is is actually uh, letting the universe know you are happy with this because it'll give you more. So what I started doing is I started doing a journal, like actually writing them down 
And it's really cool to go back and say, wow, that just happened. And, and sometimes I don't know what they mean. So um, this is one thing I struggle with. And I'd love to get your take on the numbers thing. But I struggle oh. with the idea of everybody going, I saw 111. And, and I'm on board that the universe is telling us something. But so many people say, I saw 111, amazing. But I'm like, and? Like, but what does that mean? Like, what does that tell you you're on the right path? Does that tell you? I had somebody say recently, I thought that was pretty cool. She said, that tells you that right now is the most in tune you are. So now is when you should be asking for something to manifest because the universe, you're aligned. You just saw that. But because like the flip side to the skeptic could say, well, it's 111 two times a day. Of course, you're going to see it. You know, so what I'm getting at is I'm always intrigued by that side of it as well. Like the fact that uh, there's certain synchronicities you have to kind of read into what you think they mean. So as an example, uh, I haven't listened to or heard Tina Turner on the radio and I can't tell you how long. And recently I went to a flea market and I saw Tina Turner and I don't know what made me say, I'm going to buy that CD. And I wasn't even really that big of a Tina Turner person, but I bought it anyway. And then the next day I heard Tina Turner twice in the radio. Now I can't remember the last time I heard her. And then we were on a, a Blue Talks event, a virtual event. And I can't remember the third thing. Something else happened with Tina Turner. Anyway, and so we, I brought it up to this lady and she said, um, I don't know how she figured this out, but she said, I think it's a it's to do with your mother. It's something, a message about your mother. And then Shelly said, oh yeah, doesn't your mother always talk with Tina Turner? The interesting thing is my mother's only seen like three concerts in her life. She doesn't like music. And to this day, if you bring up Tina Turner, she goes on about that, the best, the best concert that was ever put on in history. So like, I don't have to know probably what that means, but like, how cool is that? that that's all linked. And then she would say, maybe it's to do with your mother. And then she doesn't know this backstory of my mother always talking with Tina Turner. Uh, and then I'll give you one more. And I know I didn't give you a chance to respond to the things, but I get passionate about this. Yeah. And you'll love this. I think um, we were, and I'll tell this really quick, but we were, this is part of the same thing. Tina Turner time, this other synchronicity happened. We were going to, uh, we were deciding if we want to get a dog for our kids. And I went on, uh, on, to a, I went to a friend. We were looking at a certain type of dog. I went to a friend we knew who had the dog. And I said, do you know what the name of that lady is again that breeds those dogs? And he came back and said, uh, yeah. And I said, oh, what, what's the dog look like? So we know how big they'll get. And he sent back, he said, this is Luna. So that was the name. And then, so I started looking online. My girlfriend was looking, we were looking for certain types of dogs. And we found this post, this ad on like, almost like Craigslist, but it was like Kijiji in Canada. And um, it was a dog from Western Canada. And we were going it there. So like, we're like, maybe we have to go there to find the dog we want and bring it back home. Anyway, this dog's name was Luna. Now we knew it wasn't right for us because this was like three months before we'd be able to get it. And obviously they're going to find a home before that, but it was, the name was Luna. So I'm like twice Luna. That's weird. Anyway, then um, we go and do our Blue Talks event. And one of the ladies on is talking about this documentary or film she did. So we go watch the film later on the next day. Her character's name is Luna. <laughs> then the next day we're on blue talks we tell uh this lady who's into synchronicities and that about this and she goes you're not going to believe this but my daughter's dog's name is luna and there's a fifth one that i'm forgetting but what i'm going to tell you is i don't remember hearing the dog named luna in my life before and while we're trying to decide do we want to get a dog we're hearing the name over and over and then uh finally the lady who we told about the synchronicity and the dog uh Shelly got a message from the lady saying, do you know if you want to take the dog? And right as she got that message, the lady who was on the call with us sent me a message and said, and by the way, get the friggin' dog. <laughs> it was like the universe just answered the question the lady just asked. So how can you write this stuff? 
anyway, that, that's my two stories in a row. But this stuff happens to me now, Alicia, daily. And maybe it was happening always and I missed it. Or am I bringing more of it now because I'm aware? I have no idea. It's because you have the awareness. And in the first episode, I literally, it's called, I call it Discover My Rooney and Your Inner Superpower. Because when you start connecting and you start paying attention, most people aren't able, they don't see it. So when you want to talk about the numbers, because... There were very significant numbers. I'm just going to give you a quick story about this, is that one of my numbers is 822. And 821 was the name of my former restaurant where my life fell apart. 822 was the day I ended up getting married at the same hospital. I was born engaged and, you know, like I was born engaged and married in the same hospital. Like, you know, how the heck does that happen? So anybody listen to the first episode. But Here's what's so funny is that so 822 years later, I was kind of like 821, I challenged God, 822, God showed up because on 821, it was torrential downpour. There was only this option of having the reception in the in the courtyard of this hospital. And 822 was like a California day in New Jersey, which was unheard of on in the end of August, no humidity, like it was just the most atypical day possible. And so what was really funny is uh, it was actually, I just noticed you had just uh, released um, on June 1st, um, it was June 1st of 2020. I was woken up in the middle of the night. I have a very strong gift of claircognizance, this gift of knowing. And I'm like, what am I doing? And so you've heard a little bit about these channeled messages that I did not channel, but um, I know what to do with them. And I was guided to like, check this one out and then go to Facebook. And there was this guy, Neil Donald Walsh. I'd never heard of Neil Donald Walsh before. 822,000 followers. And I was like, and I took a picture of this. So that's the funny thing, Corey, like you timestamp, I timestamp as much as I can. So I have a picture of the time of when this all happened. And I'm like, 822,000 followers. So I was like, what is this? And I had only heard of conversations with God one other time months before. So this is why it's so funny. Pay attention. And, you know, I go click on who this guy is and conversations with God. And, you know, here's me saying I spent 24 hours with God. And I was like, what the heck is going on? This is before I started my podcast. This is before anything. And then I go to Amazon to order. I have six minutes to order the book for the next day. Six is my lucky number. It's really funny that we were talking about manifestation because it was in that book that I discovered the real way of manifesting. Because I actually always kind of felt manifestation as almost like a selfish thing, like, oh, I want this and I deserve it, you know, and I'm going to make it happen. I've always been like, if it's meant to be, it will be. And, you know, it's not up to me to be in that space. Like, I, of course, I'm going to make whatever happen, but I'm going to give it to a higher power of how it happens. And so in the book, it was saying to really manifest is to act as soon as you think you've killed the act. So that's what I started doing. I started living that more and more. But I also, it was funny, there was a book called The Light Between Us by uh, Lauren Lynn Jackson. I don't know if you know, she's actually a psychic medium. Fascinating book. You probably would really enjoy it because she talks about how she discovered her gifts as a medium, but she has all the, you know, all the clairs, but she said her gift of knowing was her biggest one. Now here's the funny thing for like, I don't know, six months or a year, I kept seeing Jackson, Jackson, Jackson. I'm like, what's up with Jackson? Well, my dad who passed away, his name was Jack and my mom's pet name for him was Jackson. And I'm like, but what is Jackson? And then Laura Lynn Jackson is the one who introduced me to the gift of knowing. I was like, 
oh, shoot, that's what I have. So I started living in that rather than questioning it. So I feel like your gifts are coming out more and more because once you have the awareness, it's literally you gain like your little superpower. <laughs> I, 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 absolutely. I, I agree completely. And I will say too that, um, it, it, well, first of all, I'll say um, what's interesting too is recognizing. So like I still go back to this idea too, that sometimes what you think you need is not what is these destined for you. And so I want to give, like, I'm all about, in which we've been talking about this whole time, strategy around how do you do this? So strategy around how do you create more irony and how do you, uh, what we're talking about, like, how do you avoid it just being a coincidence because you ignored it and it actually becoming something. And so I'll give you a, a real time example because it just happened today. And so this is, this is the difference between now and in the past. So I'm going to uh -huh. share with people why I think these things happen for me now so that you can see how you can do this in your life is I reached out about doing an interview and I said, I'm doing a new show. So uh, I won't say the name, um, but I'll just say this and some people will probably guess, but I'll just say a famous boxer. I'm just going to leave it at that. I went out to, and I was talking to their PR person. Uh, I knew them from before, but I was talking to the PR person and uh, they're right now pitching it to them. So I'm waiting to hear back. Uh, and then I asked, I went on their website and I noticed they had somebody else that I've wanted to interview for a while. I noticed they were representing them. And I went and asked about them and they said, well, right now they're on a break from us. Like, as you probably know, sometimes PR, like people will hire them for six months and then not have. Them. So they said, we'll send it to their management team. But right now we're not working with them. Then today they come back and say, uh, here's somebody else, though, if you're interested. And so here's where it gets interesting with Myrony, because years ago I would have went, well, no, I went for those two people. And I, I don't know this person you're offering up to me. So, I, you know, I want to bring on somebody that that uh, I know because I, in my own head, I think, well, you know, a lot of people know this person. Um, and I would, so what I'm saying is admittedly, I would shut it down. And it wasn't like, I don't think like uh, an influencer is better than a person that doesn't, that, that doesn't think influence even exists or should exist. You know, I, there's people I know that think it's all garbage, like think like a, a motivational speaker, that's all hogwash. Well, it's not for me to judge. Everybody's equal hundred percent. I love, like I said, learning from people that have reached the top of the field or people I've studied for years and watched their work. And so I was just kind of thinking, well, I want to, if I can only have one guest a week, that means I can only have 50 a year. I'm really specific about who it is. And so I would, <laughs> I would basically kind of shut that out and not interview that person. But now the difference, so this is the difference. Now I say, is it like they, even though I asked for another person, they didn't have to come back and offer anybody else. So the fact that they did, is that the universe saying, you, this is a person you need to interview? Yeah. You don't close it yet, but you need to interview them. There's some reason. You don't have to right. know why. And so that's the difference. So that's the emotion, the emotion. Like I could ignore that and go, nope, I'm on a purpose. And by the way, there's lots of thought leaders that do that. Like specifically, I want to interview these, like as an example, uh, you know, some of the bigger names, like a Lewis House you know, on his show, he has specifically, here's why the interview, I'm looking for these type of guests. And there's nothing wrong with that. And that serves him and works really well. And I was kind of on that path. But now, and I'm, I'm not saying he like, I know, I'm sure that he probably if somebody that he knows is you need to meet this person, then they, they might jump the queue over somebody that's really famous that we all know. So I'm not saying he, you know, shuts anything out. But I'm certainly if he only has a certain amount of episodes, he looks for a certain criteria. Well, right. I used to as well. But now I'm like, how did this person make, how did this person break through all that? 
Like, in other words, why did his publicist say, Corey, what about this person? That's to me, that's him knocking on the door saying, yeah. Hey, I need to be on your show. You don't know why yet, but I, so of course it's going to be an all, it's going to be a heck yes. Yeah. I don't even, I don't even, and here's the difference. Not only will it be a heck yes, where it would have been a heck, not a heck no before it would have just been a no, not for now. It's not only a heck yes. I'm not even going to research him on the yes. I'm just going to say heck yes, because the universe wouldn't lie to me. That's the yes. way I look at it. And it's there never failed me. So <laughs> I might, if I, it might be different if I did that in one out of every four times. It was like, oh, why did I do that? That was crappy. No, it's always been a good experience. It's always been something where I'm like, wow, that's why it happened. So it's a yes. I'm not going to look up and say how many followers and all that stuff. No, it doesn't matter. I'm going to no. say there's. So that's to me, that's the real world. It really, it in action is making note when it happens and thanking the universe or writing it down or whatever that looks like to you. It's um, recognizing that the universe is trying to give you, get your attention. It's being flexible that it might not come in the package you think it should, but the universe is giving you something better. You know, it's like you might not get the certain job you think you deserve. And then eight months later, you get another job where it's a better job or you meet the love of your life. And you yeah. wouldn't imagine that other job, the first one you really wanted. So yeah. that's kind of, you know, if I were doing summaries, that's kind of like my summary of the things I think I wish I would have known years ago, but I know it now and that's what matters. Well, and you also weren't supposed to know it years ago because you were meant to find the journey because it really, you know, it, it's so crazy because when people hear my story, I somehow chose it because when I was 16 years old, I had this little voice inside my head that said, go to Delaware. I'd never been to the state. Why did I want to go? I only applied to two colleges. Why? I was meant to go down this destiny. I was meant to, you know, I literally said I had to go back. My, my married name wasn't Myronic. I had to go back to Myronic to bring Myrony to the world. So it ended up all, all the difficult times have been like the greatest gift. But it is always looking. There's something bigger. There's something bigger. And so that's what I just, I, I'm so happy. And it's really funny because you kept showing up and showing up. And I kept being told, no, not yet, not yet. You know, wait. And then, then when, Roz was, uh, when Roz was like, hey, I'm gonna, you, you guys don't know each other. And then look at what happened. We made this happen so fast. I know there's so much more. Because it is about bringing this awareness because when people can start connecting to it, it literally does create miracles in your life and in others. And it's like you have no idea what the possibility is. So I'm just so honored and I like to, to now know you and, and just excited that you like you get it. And like so many people like we just have to keep sharing this, you know, because this is not my word. I'm just a messenger of the word. It just so happens that my last name is pronounced that way, but you know, everybody gets to have these myronic experiences. So I just am so grateful, Corey. And how can people connect with you, um, you know, to work with you and just, and I mean, you're just doing so many things. <laughs> well, well, thank you so much. And I, I always say probably the best kind of, I'll call, call it gateway or starting point. I mean, obviously I'm on all the social, like I say, all the social channels. I'm on LinkedIn, so you can find me there. My name's unique enough that even if you search it and get even one letter wrong, you'll still find me. But um, uh, you, know, you go Corey Poirier on LinkedIn, Facebook, um, Instagram. Those are kind of the main three that I spend my time on. You'll find me there, of course. Uh, and I could give you a website, but instead I'd like to give a gift away and it's free. Um, but I think that will serve you better, meaning you, the, the listener, viewer. Uh, so I, I kind of have two actually one uh, if your path is that you, you love to, you know, you want to communicate better with people. You want to um, 
you know, get your message heard more, all that kind of stuff. We have a book that a person can grab. Uh, the name is actually changing. It was called the book of public speaking, but now it's more defined as called get paid to speak. And so it's really designed to help you learn how people build speaking and communication businesses. Uh, but it's really surrounded by the fact that I'm trying to help people influence more lives and the stage just happens to be one of those. So people can grab a free copy of that at thebookofpublicspeaking.com. So that's one option. You go there, you get the free book. Uh, it'll come to you. It's a digital book. It'll come right away. Uh, the second option, if, if uh, written book, reading a written book or a digital book is not your thing. A second option is I have a book called The Book of Why and How. And I mean, essentially, it's, uh, it's, it's written in three acts. And it's basically, how do you find your why or your calling? Uh, when you found it, what do you do with it? And then finally, how do you sleep at night while doing it? And, and it's, a, and it's a book where I talk about the law of action. You know, when I mentioned that earlier, that's the book where I talk about it. And so what I'd like to do is give people the free audio book for that one. Oh. And so it's simply the book of why audio.com. Okay. So those two places you can get a free gift at either one, and then you'll be in my community. Uh, but the other option is if that's not your thing, just go on any of the social things, reach out, say, hi, say, you heard me on the show and uh, tell me about your irony, maybe. And then <laughs> at the same time, uh, you know, add me or, uh, send a friend request or anything like those. And I'm, uh, I'm always, I'm always very accessible. Oh, well, thank you, Corey. I'm definitely going to have you back on the show. I mean, you're so amazing. And like I said, I'd love for you to be a guest co-host to bring on some cool people to share their myronies because it is, it's the story behind it. How do people get to where they are? And so many people don't necessarily look at the smallest of the details that got them to where they are. And that's what's so fun about Myrony. People don't, they don't recognize it until they start telling it. And they're like, oh, wait a second, this other thing happened, this other thing happened. And what if we get everybody to start living in that greater awareness? I'm like, we're just going to ignite all our superpowers together. So <laughs> absolutely, 100%. And, and I will just add one last thing is, I've been a spiritual skeptic for half my life. I get it when people are like this, none of this stuff makes sense to me. But to your point, I wasn't ready then. I am ready now. So I used to try to think, how can I sort of convince someone? But now I realize they're just not ready yet. Yeah, they will be at some point. Eventually, I don't think every person in the world ever like based on, unless the whole thing changes. I don't think every necessarily every person in the world, but I do believe a large percentage of people over time will eventually this will be common. Uh, common terminology we'll be talking this like just like we talk about going out for a bite to eat I, yeah, believe well, in I just hope that you start sharing the word with your community because you know myrony is literally the opposite of selfie it's recognizing something bigger than ourselves but you can absolutely capture it on social media you know and that's why it's the hashtag that's myrony <laughs> or the book is gonna be got myrony so well thank you again Corey. this has been so amazing and uh to the listeners i'll see you next time thank you all for joining me on that's myrony podcast i hope you enjoyed the myronic stories shared today and possibly got you to connect to the myronies in your own life as you listen to this podcast, you'll start catching signs that are so subtle, but can have the biggest impact on your life. So pay attention to that inner voice and watch the myronies appear in your life, just like the guest in my next episode. And please connect with me on Instagram, Facebook, and that's myrony.com where you can share your unbelievable myronies. 
Also, if you enjoyed what you heard and can take a moment to like, comment, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting platform, it would mean so much because that is how others are able to find this podcast. Finally, please also tell your friends and family about Myrony because wouldn't it be fun to see people share their Myronies on social media in addition to their selfies? And remember, if something happens that makes you say, well, that's ironic, it's not ironic at all. It's Myronic. Now that's Myrony. See you next time.